This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. For more information, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu. From the campus of the University of Pennsylvania Wharton School, this is Knowledge at Wharton on Business Radio. Here's your host, Dan Loney. Retailers always looking for new ways to be able to better understand their consumers. Working off of the consumer behavior models developed here at the Wharton School by Professor Pete Fader, one of his students has developed a process where retailers can look at a value of a, con- of a consumer over their lifetime using sales data that companies have right at their fingertips. Take a look at this company. It is called Zodiac. Pete Fader joins us here in the studio, which you hear that voice. It's part of Marketing Matters every week here on Sirius XM 111. Great to have you back. Always good to talk to you, Dad. Thank you. And that student, now the co-founder and CEO of Zodiac, Artem Marichin, joins us on the phone. Artem, great to have you on. Thanks so much for having me, Dan. Thank you very much. Uh, I guess, Pete, let's go back and, and start with your work and how this kind of led into what happened with Zodiac. Sure thing. It's, a, it's an interesting story. So as I celebrate year 30 on the faculty here, I've spent about half that time Well, I've spent all that time building mathematical models to predict different things about consumer behavior. But I've spent about half that time on this notion of customer lifetime value. So can we look at what a customer has done in the past and make a pretty accurate projection of what they're likely to do in the future? Mm -hmm. And it's not only coming up with a single number. It's it's breaking it down into how long will this customer maintain the relationship with us? How many more transactions will they have? What will be the size of those transactions? So a number of different predictive elements that when you combine them all together gives you CLV. We, I've been doing this with uh, not just me and my co-authors and my, my students, but lots of other people around the world developing these models. And they're really accurate and they're really diagnostic and they're really actionable and they're really good. And I've been going to companies and saying, here is a, is a cool new thing that can really help you run your business better. Yeah. And a lot of companies, especially retailers, have been saying, ah, we're, we're, we're busy. We can't deal with all that math stuff. We're trying to sell things here. Yeah. Uh, and so I've been trying to find different ways to get retailers not only to pay attention to this stuff, but to embrace it. Uh, one strategy was uh, a, a book that I've written, I've spoken about in, in this studio many times on customer centricity. Let's try to motivate retailers and other companies, gaming companies, pharmaceutical firms, telecommunications yeah. firms, by thinking about this big, broad strategy of putting the right customers at the center of everything we do. And, and that's great, and that's been good, and it's been getting some companies to pay attention. But part of it is to make these models really, really accessible. Mm-hmm. Let's build a platform where it makes it super easy to run these models, super clear to see what it all means, super fun to actually take action on the basis of the models and for companies just to get smarter and make more money. And that's what led to Zodiac. It was uh, a matter of of pulling together not just Artem, but actually uh, uh, two other alums as well. So it's a a great team of of folks, all of whom went here, but have different skills uh, and to figure out ways to commercialize this stuff, spread the gospel about it, uh, and not only have a, a startup that can you know maybe make some money, but really to me equally important is is a kind of a, a as a as an amped up megaphone to get the word out about these models and the strategic practices that arise from them. And so, Artem, what was your experience in terms of taking what you learned here at Wharton and then being part of that group to build out uh, what Zodiac has become? 
Yeah, so I, I think what, uh, what was really exciting, so prior to Zodiac, I spent a number of years in a variety of investing worlds. And during that time, I was always interested in how can you understand the cash flow and the future performance of the business. And the fundamental question you know, for a lot of companies, those that actually deal with customers, is what is an individual customer worth? And the uh, opportunity at Zodiac to develop a model and to commercialize it where companies can really, for the first time, understand what is the value of each consumer and how can you change really your business strategies and operations to, to take advantage of that is, is really you know, um, incredibly powerful. And I think you know, all of us uh, on the team with Pete, the other um, kind of alumni and the co-founding team and some of the other you know, Warren alumni uh, just on the team in general really believe um, in that notion of customer centricity and that what we're kind of bringing to market at Zodiac can dramatically improve how companies interact with their customers and really the value that customers are receiving from their actions with uh, businesses. And it looks like from the website that that you are doing that. There are you know several retailers that that are uh, involved in this. American Apparel right now, uh, Dress Barn I see is is part of this formula right now as well. That's correct. Uh, and and there's lots of other companies that uh, see this idea of customer valuation and again the, the strategy associated with it as the secret sauce that's going to differentiate them from everybody else. So there's a bunch of other firms are working with that are choosing not to be identified. Right, right. Uh, but it's it's just really gratifying to see that they're not just getting these numbers and plugging it in, but they're really thinking big and broadly about how they can do a lot of things differently, not just the marketing operations. Uh, Artem, is is it as simple as, as something that Peter said a second ago in that uh, the, a lot of these companies have had this information available to them, and realistically, they just, they just didn't take the time to kind of look at that uh, look at that data and look at this as a as a way to be able to kind of understand their business, understand the consumer, and understand the future that they may be looking at with these consumers. Yeah, so I, I think it's it's an interesting perspective that you know the data has always existed prior to really the last couple of years. The technolo- technological infrastructure, the data science skill sets in the market were just broadly not available to allow companies to understand individual behavior. You know, prior um, part of this, and obviously P, uh, P can speak much more to this, the idea of a persona or an average customer was you know, the typical way that marketers would uh, think about their customer base. But now, really, with uh, advancement in technology, with modeling, with more available kind of data science skill sets, uh, they're really able to understand and predict future behavior at more and more granular levels. And it's really a dramatic um, shift that's happening and started really in a lot of e-commerce, internet businesses, but now is uh, spreading to brick and mortar, more traditional uh, industries as well. Go ahead, Peter. Uh, and, and again, want to emphasize that it's more than just the marketing folks. Say yeah. It's not just the shiny object for them. Uh, you, you think about Artem's background and, and pretty much everyone on the team, with the exception of me, uh, the, these are folks coming from private equity and from hedge funds. These are financial people. So it's yeah. not just marketing people uh, just, just trying to make a lot of noise. It's folks who really understand value. It's folks who really want to be held accountable yeah. for dollars and cents. Uh, and what we've seen a great success would be with those kinds of firms, with, with private equity firms who are contemplating uh, acquiring a company. Uh, and so let's use this kind of bottom-up approach to understand what those, what those customers are worth. Or for firms that they already own, part of their portfolio, uh, let's use CLV as a way to be able to compare our different portfolio companies to each right, other, right. to help those companies run more effectively. So it, it's, it's been interesting to see 
other disciplines embracing these ideas, uh, and I think that's that's just great for the organization as a whole. So it's uh, it's also understanding the successes and failures, especially if you're involved with a couple of companies, and being able to maybe tweak one or the other to make the one that maybe is not as successful match what the other one had done. That's exactly right. It, it, very often it's hard for, again, let's look at, at a private equity firm or a venture capital firm when they have this portfolio. And very often the, the companies they're working with are non-comparable. We're selling different stuff. You can't compare us to them. Right. But CLV is this gold standard metric. You know, We don't really care what we're selling or how we're selling it, but let's just stack up the future value of these customers next to each other. It's dollars versus dollars. Everyone understands that. So for the for the companies, Artem themselves, what is what is the process that they go through when they when they're involved with with your company with Zodiac? What is it that that they have to invest and in, and really how how are they gaining this this information about CLV? Yeah, so from the company's perspective, it's uh, quite quite simple for the um, for them to be. Uh, Anyway, so uh, from them, we'll take in their historical transactions. So we'll learn which customers um, transacted and when they did. And uh, we would, to them, we'll then provide a, a number, really the lifetime value for what each customer is expected to spend in the future, when they're going to come back, how much, um, how much they'll spend. And we'll provide that on an ongoing basis through really a software platform that allows them to visualize all this information on their customers and then really to take action on this. So it's on to identify which are the customers that are increasing in value, what type of purchases are they making, which customers are decreasing, what's the value of the customer base over time. Um, And uh, all that information is available directly in their existing databases and then also in the platform that we make available. I guess it's interesting that that, uh, you're talking about reaching something for a consumer whose wants and likes will change over the course of time. And Peter kind of alluded to it that there is, I guess there is kind of a life expectancy to the consumer with a particular business, with some of them. Now, other businesses, you probably have a longer life expectancy to have that consumer either shopping with you or using their service. And that life expectancy, I guess, is part of the formula in this, correct? Yes, that's, that's correct. And even, and even more to that, um, as companies launch new products or try new strategies, they can measure the impact on that life expectancy. So they're launching a new product line, increasing the life expectancy of their customers, they're increasing their lifetime value. So it's a way to evaluate all these product strategies, um, new business lines, new service offerings, everything of that nature, which really is what makes it powerful because it's not a static number, but it's something that changes as the business changes. So one of the issues is that we have these stylized, not not we, but but uh, humans in general, have these stylized notions about uh, how people behave and what they do. We have stereotypes, basically. Yeah, yeah. And we're trying to get past that. We're trying to say, let's just, just give us the data. Just give us the facts. Just give us, as Artemis said, the transaction logs. Let's not embellish it. Let's not, for, for the moment, let's not even worry about social media and let's not worry about who's near who in the social network. Right. Just show us who's been doing what and let's project that out. And the patterns are remarkably robust. I mean, yes, it, it can be the case that, that dramatic things happen in the market and, and all of a sudden your customers become more or less valuable. But those kinds of things are surprisingly rare. 
what we see at, at the heart of these models, at the heart of all my research, is that there's just vast differences among our customers. We've got good customers. We have lousy customers. Yeah. Uh, and the differences across our customers are much greater than the differences that we see over time within a customer. So let's not try to overcomplicate it. Let's come up with the simplest possible model. It's going to tell a reasonable story, but it's going to let us project pretty far out in a pretty robust manner. And, and, and let, again, let's not, as, as Artemis said before, uh, we, we bring in all these personality characteristics. Yeah. And, and let's not overcomplicate it. Let, let's keep it simple because our, our eyes are on the, the, this long-run forecast. And if we make that the goal, then we can do it very, very well. Peter Fader, uh, Wharton Professor uh, in Marketing, joins us here uh, in the studio. On the phone, uh, Artem Marichin, who is the co-founder and CEO of Zodiac. Your comments are welcome at 844-942-7866. Or if you'd like, send us a comment via Twitter. If you can't get to your phone, send it to either my Twitter account, at DanLoney21, L-O-N-E-Y. Or if you'd like, send it to the show Twitter account, which is at BizRadio111. Uh, one of the interesting ones in, in looking at the website, Artem, that I, you know, the companies that you have listed there is you do have some retailers, but you also have a, a fitness company that's located on there as well. Is it is it not that much difference, even though the business is, uh, uh, is slightly different between what that that fitness company is looking for and what the actual retailer is looking for? So that great question. It's actually remarkable um, that the patterns that uh, Pete has described in terms of how consumers behave are very similar across business types. And actually, we think of the world really in two types. There's transactional businesses and there's description businesses. And for most transactional businesses, and even whether it's uh, business to consumer or business to business, that type of relationship of how customers behave is remarkably similar. So for the uh, fitness companies, the, the patterns there are uh, generally identical to what we see in retail. It's the same thing that we see in travel and entertainment, in hospitality, in pharmacies, and generally pharmaceuticals. So those uh, the, the patterns of the um, human behavior really are quite robust, and uh, you know, which which is really uh, remarkable when you know, we continue to look at more and more data sets and work with more companies. And it's and it's so sad that that uh, every company thinks well they're different. That that we, we just have to be different because the nature of our product, <laughs> right, the nature right. of our relationship, right. the nature of our marketing, uh, and we I, all I want to do is encourage companies to to start with these these basic models. Again, models have been putting out there for years and years and years, just to say, or right, maybe you are different, but how will we even know if you're different unless we have this kind of standard baseline to compare you against? Yeah. So let's try this baseline model and then let's see if there are differences and how much of them are inherent to the company, how much of them might be due to seasonality or marketing activity or competition. And like I said before, uh, what you'll find is there's not really a lot there. That even right. if we try to bring some of that stuff in, yeah, it's going to help the models fit a little bit better. It's going to capture some of the little wiggles and jiggles and peaks and valleys and the curves, but it's not necessarily going to help the forecasts any better. Right. And, and and this enterprise, and I'd like to believe management practices, should be all about making decisions for the future, not for the past. Uh, Artem, are, are you already hearing back from some of the companies that you worked with that that they have made adjustments to their business operation or their marketing or, you know, various elements to the business off of having this data and, and understanding that maybe it's a little bit different than, than what their expectations were? We are, and it's, uh, it's actually a, across a variety of use cases. So when we start working with the company, oftentimes they have 
one idea in mind. So maybe on uh, the retention or the loyalty side, they'll think, okay, well, how can I choose which customers to interact with in through direct mail or through email retargeting? And using our platform, they'll determine that these customers are the ones that they really want to focus on. Some of these other customers might have already churned from the brand and interacting with them is um, really a negative uh, ROI proposition. And so they'll start with that use case and they'll you know, start doing more predictive targeting. And then the acquisition marketers will see this data and they'll understand, oh, wow, well, you know, it turns out that there are really great customers with these attributes. So how can we start acquiring more of them, whether it's through social advertising or through uh, paid search or some, some other characteristics. And then, you know, we've seen kind of examples in the finance side, so an entirely different department, and then we'll start using these models to understand what are the sales expectations from the customers and how can we think about budgeting and forecasting. So we, we've really seen this uh, kind of spread throughout the organization as there's more and more buy-in for these numbers, and it's uh, really powerful to see as uh, companies are starting to see results and then take more and more decisions based on them. Uh, we're we're seeing so many of these use cases, some of which we did anticipate in advance, but others that are, are quite surprising that we're in the process uh, of, of really writing up what we call the CLV playbook. Like, once yeah. you have these numbers, once like getting the numbers is pretty easy. We've, we've, we've done the math on that. We have this, this automated platform that's just going to give you the numbers. But here's the 50 <laughs> fun things to do with them once you have them. And Artem's just described a few of them. And real key to us is to try to find use cases that, that really do span the organization. Sure. So let's let's use it as a way not only for acquisition and retention, but let's use it as a way to to judge and incent our, our salespeople, and let's use it for overall corporate valuation and to judge uh, how well the supply chain folks are working. Yeah. Uh, and as, as we said before, with respect to private equity firms wanting to be able to compare all of their portfolio companies. Within an organization, wouldn't it be great if we can use CLV as the gold standard metric that we can judge lots of different activities that sure. we're doing? How quickly is the understanding that this is an important component to being a successful business, how quickly is that coming along in terms of the mindset of a lot of these companies? I mean, you mentioned that, that it really has been, at times, a slow process for them to understand that that this is an important component. It's a component but it's still a fairly important component. Well, I'll say that we, I've accomplished more, again, putting aside any any kind of true commercial aspects, which is ultimately the most important part here, but just in terms of kind of spreading the gospel and getting companies to understand and appreciate and take action, uh, I've seen more happen in the basically the year since we incorporated this this company than in, say, the, the 14 years before that. Uh, I, I, the idea that there is an enterprise out there doing this legitimizes it, so it's yeah. not just some some wacko academic talking about some, some ivory tower kind of thing. Having a platform that's going to just make these numbers so apparent and then surrounding it with all these different use cases that we've yeah. been referring to, again, not only legitimizes it, but I wanted to get to the point where companies not only believe in this, but it's 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 like, it's like fun. Like, let's think of, of, of more yeah. things that we can yeah. do with it. So it, it becomes almost a self-fulfilling prophecy. Once they buy in, they're going to find uh, even more use cases, applications, ways to talk about it. Uh, so it's been great having both the firm and this uh, uh, army of, of great people to work with within the company uh, to th th that will achieve much more than just as, as a simple academic I could ever do. Artem, is that part of your day? You, you're, you're thinking about all these different new uses for a lot of this data that's being uh, being uh, brought together by these companies? Yes, I mean, we, we, we definitely are. I think as we've, we've mentioned, um, 
you know, we, we uh, a lot of our team comes at it from the financial perspective of if you had the value of each customer, that's really the most important metric for a company to really understand what is each individual worth and you know, how can a company use that information to align various departments of so the marketing, finance, operations, customer service, sales and executive compensation, investor communication, um, all of that, all of those use cases really stem from this one number. And so a lot of our team coming from the finance background, marketing background, operations background, really spends time thinking, okay, well, now that this data exists and these companies have not had access to it before, what can they do with it? And as as Pete mentioned, we keep coming up with more and more use cases and companies keep coming up with uh, new ideas. And it it is really remarkable to see um, that gospel spread, those ideas spread, and companies start to increasingly believe in these models and the results that they're seeing. I guess really in in the end, even though we're we're talking about customer lifetime value, in the end, to a degree, this ends up being corporate lifetime value because obviously one leads to the other. And the idea, I guess, is to make these companies be able to be leaner and meaner and, and bringing, you know, making the value of every dollar mean more to the company bottom line. Absolutely right. That's been always one of the textbook examples, one of the motivations for for customer lifetime value is, hey, if you add all this stuff up, that's the value of the company. Yeah. But it's always been just an abstract notion uh, until now. Uh, and again, uh, uh, when we can do this stuff at real scale, not just for a little tiny slice of, of, of few customers, but for the entire customer base. Yeah. And when we can bring to the party folks who have been doing this kind of thing that is valuation, but rarely using the customer level data, it's, it's just a delicious combination. Uh, and it, it gives us a chance to talk to a, a, a CEO about things that he or she might ordinarily say, eh, just let the marketing people deal with that. But corporate valuation, I'm in. Right, exactly. Great to have you both on the show. Uh, Artem, great to have you on the phone. Thank you. For more business news and analysis from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu.